0: He's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata and bellotta
1: Hi, friends, and welcome to episode 60 of Bellatified, the one and only podcast about event, entertainment, engagement, and all other things. I'm Anthony Bellata, your host, and I'm here as I am every week with the one and only Alex Apostolidis.
0: Hi, Alex. Hello, Anthony. It's the last day of the month. I know. I'm so excited. I, I like getting through January.
1: Uh, so do I. It's my least favorite month. Is it yours too?
0: Well, yes and no. Yes, because it's a long month, but no, because my daughter was born in January. So it was her birthday on Saturday, as a matter of fact.
1: Happy birthday, Ellie!
0: Yeah, 17.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good reason to like the end of January. Yes, yes. So tomorrow marks uh, the day when I usually start to feel spring.
0: It's the countdown. It's the official countdown, February 1st, six weeks.
1: I'm so excited. I cannot wait. We are halfway through winter, and uh, I know that Many of you have suffered this weekend through brutal cold temperatures, and you may even be shivering in the dark right now. Hopefully you've gotten your power returned. So we're not going to talk too much about the weather because you will just want to pull out your revolver and shoot us both.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: For as cold as we are, we're not nearly as cold as you.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you all, he's kind of dressed like Nanook of the North right now.
1: Yeah, I mean I am like shivering in my house and it's what 60, maybe, maybe 59. I don't know, but it's it's not as cold as it is there. And so we are not going to even say another peep about it.
0: Nope. Nope. Just gonna send warm, thawing thoughts.
1: Yes. Yes, that's a good thing to do on this day, this January thirty first. Wow! How?
0: how I don't get it. We're... It's crazy.
1: The days are relentless. They just you know one pushes into the other,
0: into the other. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just amazing how that happens. Right, huh? <laughs> right,
1: it's just like you know it doesn't stop, right?
0: <laughs> Especially when I don't know. It does it go faster when your days are longer or when they're shorter? Like the days I get up earlier. I have to well, think
1: about that. I That's a hard question.
0: I think it's probably individual, right?
1: I think it really has to do with how busy you are, honestly, what you have going on and how full your, your head is with things that have to get done or things that you want to get done. Because, you know, those people who don't have so much to do uh, probably feel very different than we do you know, their days probably go by pretty slowly, you know, and looking for things to fill your days with. It's a, it's a mixed blessing being busy.
0: Yes. And that hence is, and I'm saying it for the last couple of years, but this year I really am embracing it. And I know we talked about this earlier today and I, the thing that one of the things I didn't bring up when you so very sweetly and lovingly asked what our personal professional goals are, and one of the personal and professional goals are more balance.
1: Yes. Do you so you think that's going to be possible once, um, Ellie starts college? Do you think you'll have more balance or do you think? You know, that- which
0: I'm going to be really 100% honest. She's not the draw. Yeah. I, I'm, I am the, I am the, I know I say it all the time. I'm a broken record. And yeah, especially this last week, there was a lot of scrambling to get things done. Um, But I don't ever feel so much. Sometimes I'm a little overwhelmed with the things I have to do just to try to stay on top of all the stuff, especially kind of as a single mom, even though, you know, God, her dad is great and he's really involved, but she's here most of the time. So there's that. But really, she's the least draw on my life. Mm. I have to say, I am just, she's self-sufficient for the most part. I know, I know. So I don't wish she needed me more, but
1: they right. It must be us then.
0: It must be us. <laughs> well, work is a work is a big part of it. Yes, yeah, yes. But here's the other thing too, and and this is my own bad. This is nobody is to fault for this but me, that I do let things take priority in my life, and that is one of my 2022 mantras: is that I am now the priority in my own life. I have to make that switch because health wise, it's not good for me, so I have to make that switch. And I am.
1: I just read something about uh, uh, hacks that you can do to save your own time. And one of them is to turn off notifications, which is a big distraction, which I've done. And uh, so I no longer, you know, see that little banner coming down on my phone or on my, my computer screen when I'm trying to get work. And that really helps. The other is don't answer the phone. It's very interesting, I thought. Uh, I've never really been a good phone answerer to begin with, uh, but it really does justify not wanting to or having to answer the phone because the premise is when you do, you're dealing with somebody on their time and you're dealing with their needs. And so, you know, prioritize yourself first and make appointments for your phone use. And that sounds all well and good, and I, you know, as a practice, why not? But at some point, you have to answer the phone. You know, if somebody if you're a
0: parent, right? I mean, I always have to know, which is why this little thing is so great because I can kind of glance and go, "It's not illy, It's not important."
1: It's interesting that you point to your iWatch because we had a little discussion about that earlier uh, within the cohort that I'm in, and people have said they've. They have turned off the notifications on their watch specifically because they see other people look at the notification when it comes in and it bothers them so much. And I don't think that I would want that on my arm. But I'm sure that once you get it, you just sort of deal with it, right? Are you happy to have it on your arm?
0: No, I am very happy because, again, I don't have to carry my phone with me everywhere. I can walk around. And this is very good, especially for work or if I'm in meetings, because I can just glance. And if I'm in concentration, if we're doing this, unless it says "illy" and I see something like "SOS" or "I need you now," I can, I don't, I won't look at it. I don't need to pay attention to it. So I do as a parent. I like to have this because I don't want to miss her if she needs me. Right?
1: Can you read it?
0: Oh, yeah, I can read it. I could respond to it. I can I could. I didn't get the bigger face, which I'm regretting a little bit because you can uh, actually respond via text on this, type it in or you can talk it in. Um, it's a little small to type it in. so <laughs> I did that one time and what came out, I think, oh, I did it with D or no with you, actually, I think. and what came out probably wasn't what should have come out. So
1: oh, yeah, well, you know that happens when you talk too. That's true. You get That's the true. weirdest things written, you know, when you try to speak it into when the phone. It,
0: as anybody who's friends with me on Facebook knows that the autocorrect with me and my phone is horrendous. The things that I swear I'm looking, it looks good. And as soon as I hit send, it autocorrects anyway. And some of the words that come out via my posts are <laughs> very embarrassing.
1: Yeah. My funniest autocorrect is the name of my brother in law. It's his name is it's it's spelled Jaime. But he pronounces it Jamie J. A. I. M. E. And my iPhone uh, corrected it as Shamir.
0: That's that's the name you say often
1: all the time. (laughs) (laughs) How it went from Jaime to Shamir, I don't know, but I still call him Shamir because I think it's funny.
0: Well, I think the most embarrassing reason, although I will say if I ever wish anybody out there, happy border, no, it means happy birthday, but my phone always corrects birthday to border <laughs> because that's yeah, very you common. Know, but the most, the, the most embarrassing one was when I reply to a text. And I said, Oh, are we celebrating her? And it was supposed to be birthday. The word, the word vagina came out. (laughs) I don't know why.
1: And you didn't say it or type it.
0: No, no. I mean, I like this person, but I don't need to know about that.
1: (laughs) Or celebrate it.
0: (laughs) Or celebrate. She she can celebrate her own. I don't need to celebrate it for her. (laughs) She
1: doesn't need you for that.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the, I know the, uh, our dear friend Janet was the recipient of that text in regards to someone else uh, that we were gonna be meeting for dinner. And I just, it it, it made Janet fall off her chair at work.
1: (laughs) What is she thinking? Get to speak with someone that we've worked with for a long, long time uh, and uh, we always love to work with. Uh, Why don't you tell the folks who we have?
0: Well, our guest today formed a group called Taiko Project back in 2000 in LA. So uh, they have a real modern American style of Taiko, blending traditional forms with an innovative and fresh aesthetic, which really their sound is incredible. Um, And this is really cool. They were the first American taiko group to win the prestigious Tokyo International Taiko Contest in 2005, besting all of the Japanese taiko groups. Having lived in Japan for two years, I can tell you that is a huge deal because that's a very proud nation. Um, Their credits are tremendously long. Just to touch on a little bit, they've been featured in the Mitsubishi Eclipse commercial. They performed on the Academy Awards, the Grammy Awards, The Voice, The X Factor, Conan, Jimmy Kimmel Kim Live, right? That's just a few things. And they've recorded and performed with guests like Stevie Wonder, Peter Gabriel, John Legend. Oh my God. Um, and I, you know, again, that's just a few. So please let's welcome the executive director of Tyco Project, Brian Yamami. Hey,
2: hey Brian! Brian, Brian yeah, yeah. Yamami, Yamami, Yamami,
0: Yamami,
1: Welcome to the show. It's nice to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a minute since I've seen you, for sure. Definitely. Brian,
0: I don't think you and I have ever actually been face-to-face.
2: <laughs> I've always wondered what you looked like. Well, here you go. <laughs>
0: this is it. I know what you look like because I see your picture, but... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just the, uh, now you see the face behind the voice and the emails and the texts. Cool. Yeah.
1: So how are you doing, sir?
2: Uh, we're doing well. Yeah, I could, I have a two month old, so that's keeping me a little busy. <laughs> oh, congratulations. I, congratulations. Yes. Wow. So, Your first? Uh, number three.
1: Number three.
2: Yeah. so So
1: you're you're old hat by now huh you know what you're doing you got a damn pat you're a bit familiar with the process yes is this is this one of more to come or have you decided this is the last
2: oh this has to be the last
1: (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't sound very convincing
2: oh no i mean it's a you know it's uh we just by nature of how it worked out uh they're all uh, spaced out five years apart so, oh, yeah. So we have a 10 year old girl, Amelia, a five year old boy, Cameron, and a two month old daughter, Lexi. So beautiful. Good
0: name, because name. my name's Alexis. That was my nickname growing up. Nice.
1: Is she a taiko drummer yet? <laughs> uh,
2: my first daughter, she always, anytime she heard taiko when she was younger, she, she would cover her ears and say it's too loud. <laughs> <laughs> does she still do that i hope not uh now she tolerates it then she went through a phase of whenever she heard taiko she'd fall asleep uh and now she yeah, she has a healthy respect for it but she's learning the cello so
1: oh so she has the musical gene
2: uh, yeah she's, a little more refined than taiko so she
1: doesn't want to be banging right she wants to be plucking and that's beautiful beautiful so you're still very entrenched in the taiko world uh and I think when we first met, I was under the, the uh, disillusion that you were just sort of doing it on, you know, in your spare, spare time and that you you also did something else. But you're committed to the Tyco Project 24-7, all in.
2: Well, I mean, it's been, uh, we you know, I founded it 21 years ago. Um, and it kind of grew from, you know, something just kind of a more grassrootsy, uh, you know, build it out of my garage kind of a thing to, you know, to a nonprofit, to, you know, a full-time staff member to now, uh, two staff members, uh, and kind of continuing to grow, uh, from there. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey, but, um, luckily one of continued growth you have a board now yeah we've had a board for uh, yeah since we incorporated around 12 years ago they're you know behind the scenes so they're not out in the public eye too much do you count on them for advice and feedback often um we meet a couple times a year um, so they're a supportive board um, but they're also very lenient and kind of entrusting that i'll guide the organization wisely
0: good that's really good that they're not uh, inhibiting at all the creative process for you
1: no. what is the what is their stake in it other than to support you or is there one
2: um i think that a lot of them have connections to uh, the taiko world uh, in different ways um a couple of them I worked with uh, when I was at the Japanese American Cultural Center in Little Tokyo. This is like 25 years ago when I was first starting uh, my career, and I've kept in touch with them, and uh, they, they've always been supportive of our creative work. Um, we have a couple of board members that one is a longtime adult student of ours, mm-hmm. another one is a parent of a, a youth student um there's we have a community other community members from the little tokyo kind of community as well so and when you
1: started taiko project you said 21 years ago Mm -hmm. the the collegiate uh taiko world was just coming alive Is, is that a true statement
2: pretty close yeah it was uh just starting off i think if you the very Initial groups were in the late mid to late nineties. Yes, uh, yeah. But it was it was just kind of small at that point, and then once the two thousands kind of hit, it just kind of exploded all over the West Coast, and now it's actually quite uh, growing a lot in the East Coast as well. In particular, cities, Brian, or or throughout the, um, Eastern seaboard, just universities across the Northeast. You'll find a lot of a lot of Taiko groups. You know, from Rhode Island all the way down to. New York, across to Ohio and Pennsylvania. So we have a Tycho student who went through our youth program. She's now in the Swarthmore Tycho program uh, in Pennsylvania. Mm. And yeah, ah. it's just it's, yeah, it's you know, it's kind of going the way of uh, you know, always having its cultural roots, but hopefully uh, becoming something that is you know a little bit more universal.
1: Universal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I think I read that uh, the idea of a Taiko ensemble is really fairly new. uh, You know, only been around since the 1950s after World War II, which shocked me. I, I, you know, being that it's the the uh, the the genre itself is is deep in in military history, right in in Japan, I thought that so was the idea of an ensemble. I didn't realize it's it's just come about within the last seventy years.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It um, the drum itself has been a part of uh, Japanese culture and ceremonies and uh, and rituals uh, for hundreds of years. Um, our drums come from a Taiko company in Japan that is four hundred and twelve years old. Wow. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, the actual performing art, the idea of taking all these taiko drums and taiko drummers and putting them on stage is yeah, uh, about 70 years old. It was uh, spearheaded by a Japanese jazz drummer who got the idea by finding some old sheet music. Um, And instead of having the taiko drums uh, kind of to the side or off stage, as they often were in more of the classical Japanese forms of music and dance and theater, uh, they were, he said, well, let me put them on stage and make them the focal point. Um, And then, you know, it was wildly popular and then wildly copied and expanded from there.
0: And if anybody, you know, if there's anybody out there listening that hasn't seen this YouTube Taiko Project. The choreography of what they're doing on stage is breathtakingly beautiful. And it is such an, I'm going to call it an endurance sport because it's, that's not easy. I've seen, you know, live performances. It's not easy what you guys are doing up there. It's, it's requires some strength and endurance and stamina. Thank you.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, We also teach a whole bunch of classes. um, But it's, you know, a lot of it's been described as a combination of music and martial arts and sports. And yeah, it's it encompasses all those things.
1: Now, taiko is the Japanese word for drum, right?
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: but there are different types of taiko drums that we've seen. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Taiko, if you go to a Japanese person and say, oh, I, you know, I know what taiko is. They'll kind of think that you're just talking about a a regular drum, Uh, not even like a taiko drum, the way we think of it, but just like a a snare drum, they could be thinking of any kind of drum. Uh, For in Japan, uh, what we do would be called wadaiko, that that's their term for a Japanese drum. Wadaiko. Uh, Here in North America, it's kind of, the word taiko has kind of come to mean a Japanese drum um but yeah within that family there's uh you know a wide range just like a western family of drums from the smaller high-pitched shime to you know the really large odaiko or ohira daiko
1: which is similar to a kettle drum in an orchestra or at least in terms of size
2: Mm -hmm. yep
1: and you have these made by a company that's 400 plus years old and then shipped to the u.s when you in your own in your own drums
2: we have a combination of uh of drums in our set of we have some drums uh, that we use for classes that we make ourselves uh, one of the reasons why taiko spread a lot in uh, the united states is the advent of the wine barrel diy taiko and this was oh. Created by a group in Los Angeles that was active in the 60s and 70s, and they, um, you know, they saw the prices for Japanese Taiko, and and they kind of said, "All right, well, that's out of our budget range. What can we find here and make it a Taiko?" And so they found a place where they could get used wine barrels, uh, you know, California, easy to find,
1: easy, right? Um,
2: hmm? You know, found a rawhide supplier where they could get a a, a a giant, you know pre-treated hide. And they just experimented, you know, they took pliers and tried to pull um, to create tension for the drum heads. This is very, very primitive, but eventually they were able to figure out how to, you know, how to use a, a rig with carjacks um, and pieces of wood and rope and certain texni- techniques to, to create a, a decent sounding and looking taiko drum. And that really made it accessible to community groups uh, everywhere they went to perform. Um, so that's oh. that's about a third of our set, and the set that we usually bring out for bolada events, nothing but mm-hmm. the best. Uh, Thank you. Um, are the drums from Japan, and um, uh, our initial set we procured uh, in around two thousand two, and we were really fortunate enough to be able to uh, have a meeting with the company. And to kind of say, this is our idea. We want to create a group. Um, we'd love to use a set of Asano drums. These are the best drums you can get. Um, you know, can we work something out? And they said, all right. You know, if you can afford this amount, this amount of money a year, uh, then you can have a really nice set of drums. And so we got this really amazing, beautiful set of drums just on this kind of handshake promise that we would continue paying every year. And it wasn't until I think 12 years after that, so around in 2014, where I kind of thought, God, we must be making some kind of dent in this. <laughs> in this <debt." laughs> right. I mean, it's been 12 years. I think, you know, I, we, we must be making some progress. And so we found out that, yeah, they're like, yeah, you got a couple more years and then, and then you paid it off. Now it's was kind of, you know, it was, The day that we paid the drums off was a glorious day. Yes.
0: Awesome. Can I ask where in Japan that company is?
2: They're based in Manto in Ishikawa-ken, Mm
0: -hmm. and it's
2: on the main island of Japan and kind of on the western coast. Also known for uh, extremely good sake in that area. Mm
1: So when we work with you, Brian, typically the performances are short and they will signal a movement or an opening of some kind, but you actually tour theaters and have shows that are much more, uh, much longer and, and entailed than what we use you for. Can you just talk a little bit about what, uh, a full-on uh, Taiko performance would entail and and feel like to an audience.
2: Sure, um, yeah, we uh, the group was originally formed to kind of take this touring circuit uh, to performing cent- performing art centers across the country um, with a full-length uh, evening concert program uh, and educational activities, but basically an evening show that in our mind. Would try to show the kind of roller coaster of emotions uh, that Taiko can evoke. You know, it's not something that's just loud and visceral and powerful. something quiet or graceful, um, somber, it could be humorous, Uh, it can be joyous and celebratory. So our goal was to um, kind of celebrate all those different uh, emotions and ideas, and to take the audience on this roller coaster of uh, feelings and emotions through our Taiko lens. Um, and so, yeah, so we have about a it's usually about an hour and a half long, um, and usually about six songs per set. Uh, we incorporate the shinobue or bamboo flute. Um, for the last ten years, we've been experimenting with marimba uh, in the performances, and really adding a nice earthy uh, melodic uh, element to uh, our taiko drumming, and also nice to kind of offset the, yeah. <laughs> the loud loud parts of the show. Um, Koto, the uh, Japanese zither or harp, um, and also recently we've been incorporating more voice, more original vocal songs. Um, in, in the show as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. Who who
1: curates your shows and determines what numbers will be performed, what music will be performed, and, and how do you develop a show?
2: Well, we have uh, three main kind of creative leads in the show. Um, one of them is myself, but I've kind of also taken more of the administrative side since uh, I've, delved into the art of paperwork as well.
1: Yes, beautiful. Uh, somebody has to.
2: Somebody has to. Moz, um, who has done many Balada mm-hmm. gigs, uh, is, you know, is our primary composer and uh, flute player. And he has composed uh, the bulk of our repertoire mm-hmm. at this point. And also in the last eight to 10 years, uh, we've increased the role of Yumi. Um, she's done a bunch of Balada gigs, but she is Uh, uh, a highly trained Japanese classical dancer who also loves playing taiko. And so she came in kind of playing taiko with us, but um, she grew up from a young age doing classical Japanese dance called Nihon Buyo. And so uh, over the years we've been able to incorporate more of her original choreography into the uh, songs that we do. So uh, between the three of us, we kind of envision uh, the show and the songs and kind of we talk it through you like how about this song here yeah i like that but then you know let's try this song over here and um, so just kind of through talking it talking it out we've been able to uh, shape our shows together um, and we uh, this in the last year we've been trying to uh, really up our game production wise uh, so we've been investing in a lot of new production elements into our uh, concert program. So we just got, um, we augmented our wireless mic system. So now we've sunk about a total of 15,000 into a Shure QLX wireless mic system. Uh, uh, About six years ago, we started working with a costume designer um, that we've spent lots of money to create really, you know, couture level, uh, costume pieces. You know, for a long time it was just kind of sporty, under armor, we're young. Right. And I was like, okay, well, we're not as young as we used to be, so let's try to be <laughs> a little more refined and, you know, uh, find something a little bit more elegant. Um, we just got a Chauvet Nimbus. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's a dry ice fog machine. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. So we're getting one of those to take on the road and uh, I just worked with a designer to um, develop a, I think it's 38 feet wide by 24 foot tall stage banner. Okay. We're use as a drop for our, um, for our stage concerts.
1: Beautiful. So,
2: yeah. So we're excited um, about, you know, where, how far we've come and there's a lot more, we want to try to expand on and create more of a exciting visual, you know, audio, um, emotional experience for our audience members.
0: I have to ask you a question. Did your eight year old self when you were kind of being pushed in this direction, did that eight year old self ever envision any of this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't even think I had any thought that I was going to do anything with Tyco professionally. Um, so, you know, to the fact that we're here is, uh, I don't know, ser- kind of serendipitous. I always thought I was going to go into animation or something more mm. in the visual arts, which is what I studied in college. Um, but uh, I also kind of picked up a little Taiko back in college um, and started working it with the in, in the little Tokyo community, and just kind of started veering in that direction.
1: You know, you said um, that the the performances are composed. And that struck a chord with me because I realized, oh yes, there probably isn't a, a whole lot of uh, ensemble music that's available to the Taiko world, given the short time that Taiko's been in you know, on the scene, is, is that a fair statement? That, you know, you really do have to compose uh, when you want to uh, take the group out on a tour, because there's not a huge library to draw from already?
2: I think so. There's a lot of uh, traditional and regional styles of taiko um, uh, that come from different areas of Japan or that have been developed over the last 50 years or so that have become uh, popular in certain ways. Um, but if you're going to be a professional touring ensemble, uh, I think you can't just rely on, on one style. And, and for us, uh, we try to showcase uh, all the different, um, I mean, not every single one, but the ones that we have a special connection to. Um, uh, we try to celebrate and, uh, and present those styles uh, of Taiko while also showing our original and creative work as well.
1: Do you ever uh, get feedback that uh, is unfavorable from people who feel like what you're doing is not traditional enough or, uh, in that regard, respectful enough? Do you ever
2: get any negative feedback for that? Oh, yeah, all the time. We've gotten really? it from the very beginning, you know what is Tycho Project? What are you trying to do? <laughs> <laughs> That's you know? when you know you have a good idea, right. nobody understands <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I used to be more defensive about it back then. I mean, you know, 21 years now later, it's like, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to do what I think, you know, is true and good. And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, cool. You know, like, go find something else that you like. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, gonna be this range of people that prefer the traditional stuff. Uh, there's gonna be people that, uh, you know, only like more avant-garde, uh, new musicy versions of Taiko. You know, there's people that only like the, like a hundred percent, you know, just raw screaming, kind of highly physical Taiko. Um, that's great, you know? I mean, we just kind of do what we think uh, we like to see. Um, And, you know, and if people like it, great. And if people don't like it, then that's what it is.
0: I want to piggyback on that then, because in 2005, you guys won the Tokyo uh, International Taiko Contest, right? Mm -hmm. And how were, and again, having spent time in Japan, how were you received there with your style? I know you won, but how were you received? Was it Un- completely unexpected for them? It was completely unexpected for us. I mean, we
2: were all, you know, in our early 20s um, and we were just kind of barely getting the group off the ground. And so uh, a lot of times when we talk about the, the contest, um, you know, we we kind of, you uh, know I mean, we had to fly in from LA, you know, we were like totally tired, jet lagged. Um, and, you know, we had, not the merch or brand marketing that we have now so it was just kind of in t-shirts and jeans um, you know we walk in and then all the other teams are like have their matching warmups you know they're looking like fresh and ready to go and we're just like oh my god
1: you are the scruffy <laughs> team terrible right, right.
2: Um, but i think at least we're able to show like a a, a really different uh, perspective and aesthetic to Taiko that hadn't been seen um, and that was something I think that the judges picked up on and wanted to um, reward or recognize that, you know, we're not just, you know, this random American Taiko group, but we're kind of showing that Taiko is an art form that is thriving and creating its uh, own thing across the world.
0: Beautiful.
1: It it's, it's, seems like the quintessential underdog story <laughs> uh just the way that you describe it
2: yeah i mean that's that's truly how we felt i mean we as you know the results were kind of being read out we were like okay well we feel like we kind of executed our parts pretty well like third place would be okay second place would be amazing you know we we weren't even thinking that we were uh, going to win it but um yeah when they could they kind of made the announcement of third place it wasn't us um and then when second place was announced and it wasn't us for like oh man we either won this or we're like going home extremely (laughs) right sad because you know we you know we did a fundraiser to help fund um, uh going out to japan and you know it's
1: uh, a big deal it took a lot of effort and work to get there and a lot of support
2: so but yeah we were you know for us it was really uh, a recognition of uh, american taiko and you know the fact that uh, you know American Taiko doesn't have to be second or inauthentic when compared to Japanese Taiko. Um, you know that's we get that a lot. You know, like um, uh, when we do events or when we do certain kinds of when we get bookings or requests. You know, it's it's like oh, you know, well you're not from Japan. You know, it's, it's the real deal. You know, and so this the contest kind of helped us say you know get past that and be like yeah we're you know there is no real deal you know that's japanese taiko and we're presenting american taiko you know
0: how many members were on that trip i'm sorry anthony i just was curious back then how many members uh there were eight of us who went out
1: Today, in your membership of Taiko Drummers, is there a diversity of membership that play Taiko?
2: Yeah, there's 19 of us now. Um, you know, from early 20s to mid 40s, um, we have you know people of all ethnicities. I think I would say maybe it's half Japanese American, but you know, Chinese, Korean. Uh, Got a white guy who is great, Blaine. (laughs) Other uh, Hapa half members, a a younger uh, Caucasian girl that's really motivated too. So, you know, we don't even, you know, really kind of consider that if someone has the passion uh, and the commitment to want to play Taiko, then you know, come on in. You know, we'll take uh, we'll take everyone and give them a fair shake.
1: So, how does it um, that somebody would come in and start? training with the group, and then become a performer with the group? What does that look like for somebody?
2: Well, we've recently restructured. But right now, the process is uh, that they would come in into our education team. uh, And that's kind of a freelance um, group that knows our basic repertoire. Uh, They would go out and do uh, a number of our school programs. Um, We are on the music center on tour roster and the arts teach roster uh, in la and orange county and so we get pretty regular bookings for school and family and library programs so kind of start to learn our meat and potatoes kind of stuff Uh, and if they have the desire to try to do more they would uh, join our community team and start to learn more more of our additional repertoire continue to refine their technique stage presence Um, and if they level themselves up enough then they get invited to join our touring team and our touring team is the primary group that goes out to um, uh, performing arts centers across the country um, to present our high level uh, performing shows
1: and how many shows do you do a year do you think brian on average
2: pre-covid yeah
1: yeah that's (laughs) for sure
2: (laughs) um usually we would have a spring and a fall tour um and it could be anywhere from three to seven or eight concerts across uh uh, across the country sometimes it's a region um sometimes the tours are not routed well and we end up putting just a lot of miles between the shows which is totally fine you know we're happy to have work um our last major tour before lockdown took us like up to Minnesota, across to New York, down to Louisiana, to Georgia, and then home.
1: Wow! <laughs> so that and you... routed tour. But... And it's a it's a bus and truck, I assume.
2: Um, fl- was...
1: Are you flying or are you are you driving?
2: Um, most of our performers will fly, and then some of us will drive in our uh, uh, Sprinter van.
1: Yes, with with stuff in the back, filled to the brim
2: yeah but uh this spring we have an exciting tour that's gonna uh nicely routed gonna take us to northern california uh oregon idaho montana and back nice nice that's yeah you need to come down to san diego i'm just saying yeah we you know a long time ago we played art power i mean this is uh at Mm -hmm. ucsd this is Mm -hmm. man that it's like over 10 years ago but yeah You know anyone there, we'd love to come back to our Mm. power.
1: (laughs) Do you normally, um, are you normally on the bill alone or do you share the bill with other groups when you tour uh, the performing arts centers?
2: Yeah, it's usually just us. Um, Sometimes the presenter will invite a local group to maybe play in the lobby or to do a pre-show, like introductory short little show, but usually it's just us
1: beautiful mm-hmm. and and uh do you find that you are really well received wherever you go and tour that people are uh you know, loving it and and want more and can't wait to meet you
2: um yeah i mean usually people uh are excited to see our show um just cuz we i mean we've been around 21 years but it's still we Are still going out to a lot of communities that we haven't performed for, Uh, and so it's a lot of times it's the first time we've been out to a community, or if we have been there, it's been five to six years, and it's um, you know we get to show a lot of our new creative work as well. Um, A lot of Taiko folks or community members that we will have met, you know, we'll get to see again and catch up. Um, uh, We've you know had shows in Minnesota. Uh, I have some distant relatives up in northern Minnesota that I've been able to see periodically because of our tours. Um, so, you know, it's always really nice to get out of L.A., um, to, you know, see totally different parts of this country of ours, um, and to, you know, be well received, but also to kind of hear what's going on in in the various communities we go to. Do
1: you find that uh people who come to the show that there are people that have just never heard of Taiko or seen Taiko. Do you have a lot of those people that uh, come to your shows, do you know?
2: Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, a lot of people have seen the other kind of major uh, touring Taiko groups from Japan, Kodo or Yamato um, or Tao. Uh, I think they're appreciative of seeing kind of a, an American kind of homegrown, um, show as well that definitely has kind of a different feel to it um a lot of times when we go out and do educational programs um we will you know expose uh usually kids and families to taiko for the very first time before a lot of times it's they have never seen an asian person before at all um so you know the fact that we can you know perform for them um you know and you know yeah and in some parts of the country they're like wow you know you speak English really well. <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, it's totally non malicious by any means. It's just sure. like, I have never met an Asian person. So I, you know, wow, you speak, you speak really great English from what I would have said. I'm like, well, thank you. Uh, I've been working really hard at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's great. Like a, a few years ago, we went out to uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's just across the, it's across like a maybe half an hour from Houston, eastward in Louisiana. Um, and the Acadiana Center, they sent us out to all the local, uh, a bunch of local schools. And yeah, it, first time, you know, an Asian person walked through their doors, you know? So wow. it's great. Yeah.
1: That and is I'm, great. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was
2: gonna say it's, that's just one, you know, corner of the country that is, I'm sure, very similar to corners across this country <laughs> everywhere, you know? Yes.
0: It's hard to imagine in this day and age, but I can, but it just, it still seems like it's a little bit of a weird disconnectory, but yeah. And and apparently you spent some
1: time in Syracuse. What is that <laughs> about? What is that about? <laughs> I, I went to SU. That's why oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's why I have to ask.
2: What is that about? <laughs> well, lovely Syracuse. Um, when I was in junior high, my dad just relocated us uh, because of his work from California, San Jose to Syracuse. One day, he just kind of said, uh, we're moving to Syracuse. So get packed. And we he moved us yeah. there in the winter.
1: <laughs> oh, my Lord. Ooh. Yes, that's the worst.
2: So, yeah, so, you know, I finished junior high in high school in Syracuse. Um, and I haven't been back since, but, uh, you know, there are some good memories of being out there, but also, you know, I don't miss the snow and the, like, perpetually gray skies that are part of Syracuse.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, the, the first day of spring seeing people emerge, that you know, you didn't know there were that many people around because people are holed up for, for winter. And yeah. I'm a Florida boy who went to Syracuse, so it it was just enlightening to me that you know people came out of the crevices on that first sunny spring day. It's like, where did they all come from? <laughs> yeah, and I haven't been back since either. And I think uh I left there even before you went there. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to go, no reason. So what is it that, uh, that you teach to your students over and above the music? What is it that they, they get out of the experience over and above the actual playing of the drums?
2: I think for our students, both our adults and our youth, I think what they get out of it is just this communal drumming experience. Uh, and connection with other people, um, you know, to to play with 20 other people, mostly in time and, you know, just to kind of feel that physical uh, visceral uh, pulse is something that, you know, is not common. It's not something you often get to do. And it's something that I think this, sh- uh, this shared spirit uh, comes out and people are able to, Really just have this really energizing um, emotional, kind of enjoyable physical uh experience with each other, and you know it keeps a lot of people coming back uh, year after year after year
1: the The sound is joyful, isn't it it's yeah. it's It's big, even though it has color and dynamic, but it it's big in that it really does stir the soul. And that's what we find when we work with you that uh, it's so powerful. So I imagine as a performer, it it feels that powerful when you're on stage and making this sound.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, the connection I think between the performer and the drum or with the uh, instrument is, is really uh, something that's hard to explain, but you know, like where I would imagine a string player kind of feels that the vibration between uh, the bow and the instrument creating the sound. I think we feel the same way, just kind of creating this much more bombastic uh, vibration and creation of sound uh, with uh, with ourselves, our sticks uh, and the drums kind of sending out this vibration to the audience too. So.
1: You said in time. You said drumming in time. I think that's what you said. And it it made me wonder, who sets the who sets the rhythm in in the company, and how difficult is it to go off rhythm? To to uh, what tends to happen? You get a little faster, you or you get too slow. How do you monitor the rhythm and ensure that it's right?
2: It's kind of a uh, an unspoken kind of like dynamic evolving energy going on between the performers because there are certain instruments that are easier to hear than others so that some people you can kind of key in uh, to to one tempo but at the same time um, you know the energy of the different performers is, is always fluctuating and um, sometimes heating up sometimes cooling down. Um, but, you know, it's a constant listening exercise to make sure that everyone is um, playing together. Like it's it's clear if someone is not paying attention to the rest of the group and isn't adjusting that, you know, something will sound bad. So really, you know, as much as we are these kind of loud, you know, uh, enthusiastic drummers, the most important thing people need to do as performers, especially with us, is to listen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know to be able to play your part, but also hear how it fits in with everyone else.
1: Yes, that's key. That is key. As <laughs> as singers, Alex and I and uh, both of us have sung in, in in theatrical shows and in choruses. So the idea of always having those ears open, listening, is is key. And I I, I assume, and I'm probably totally off base, that it's harder when you're playing a drum because of the dynamic. Uh, but, you know, it. It now as I'm saying that, that probably isn't true because when you're singing, it's all up in your head, right? So it's internal and you still have to listen, whereas the drum is external. So maybe it's not really more difficult. I think I just answered my own question. You could both leave now. I don't know why you're here. That was just a run on, oh my
2: goodness. So, no, that was
1: that was good. <laughs> so you mentioned you have a spring a spring tour that's uh, Northern California, Oregon. I think you said Idaho and Montana. That's correct. Huh? And then what's next? What's after that?
2: After that, um, we'll be doing a home concert. We always do a summer home concert uh, in the LA area, some somewhere. Um, in the past, we've been doing it at the Ford Theaters in LA, uh, in Hollywood. But uh, sometimes it shifts we're not really uh, sure what's going on, Um, you know, as with many theaters are not really sure what's going on from uh, the last couple of years Um, but. uh, yeah we'll do some kind of home concert and there's already a couple of bookings and inquiries happening for the fall, so you know we're somehow some way we'll still be doing what we're doing yeah.
1: You've shared the stage with quite a few uh, performers, uh, musicians. What's been, uh, what was your f- favorite experience working with uh, someone and and
2: maybe even your least favorite? Um, my favorite was probably, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder. Oh. Um, and I got to be part of kind of a world drumming ensemble that he brought uh, onto the stage for a couple of songs for bonnaroo which in and of itself was also another kind of crazy experience um but to kind of experience uh you know his grace and generosity uh in rehearsals uh and also like to kind of see his you know pre-show ritual and you know and to know like it's it's not uh it's meaningful but at the same time you know yeah everyone circles up it's great you know and to see him that he's uh, an artist on his level is is still like saying oh let's circle everyone up and that. you know and sh- kind of share this energy before we go on stage is you know it's like
0: yeah to me uh, that's the mark of a true artist and a true performer somebody who loves performing and understands the community and the spirit and the spirituality of it
1: and the importance of everybody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and what about your least favorite? I think we read something about rock stars are crazy. So I'm assuming it's a rock star, but who knows? Yeah, well, I, uh,
2: I would say it's maybe not so much the rock star, but the rock star's production team.
1: Oh. <laughs> um,
2: for a number of years, we we did a number of gigs with 30 Seconds to Mars. That's kind of Jared Leto's uh, kind of rock band outfit. and. Um, Anytime we did something with them, it was always like at the last minute, we'd never get any information. Um, I remember there, the, the one that always comes to mind is there's like a two gig uh, weekend. First one was in San Diego, the next day was Las Vegas. And for the first one in San Diego, um, they said, okay, be there at 8 a.m. You know, And it's an evening festival show. And we're like, all right, got there at 8 a.m. Uh-huh. None of their staff is there um you know they finally kind of started to trickle in we're like well, well <laughs> what do you right. need us to do? We've been waiting around for like four hours and no one really had any answers for us finally like you know several hours later we finally get to coordinating uh, what they want us to do in the show and then like i think an hour before the show they're like oh they, did they send you this song too and we're like no oh. they're like oh they want you to play in this song as well and we're like okay we'll do our best but you know like you're giving me like one hour to try to prepare this with our guys and so it went fine um you know it was it was it was the performance went off fine and then the next day was Las Vegas and um they had asked us to bring out like twice as many taiko performers and so we had to kind of pull together all these people that we knew um uh, kind of from these disparate groups and kind of just like they wanted it to be all guys. And, you know, I tried to, I did my best, but we had to kind of pull from all these groups. I didn't really know that well. And so it was like, you know, it's like herding cats trying to get these guys on the road and get to to Las Vegas in time. And so we were running late, you know, like uh, we got to a gas station and then they all wanted to order food. And I'm like, like, (laughs) so anyways, we get there late, but they don't, say anything they didn't, they didn't call us we didn't have a contact number of anyone to call to tell them we were running late um, and we're like well you know we got there at 8 a.m you know yesterday and sat around for like six hours uh you know it's probably the same it's okay if we're half an hour late or whatever but we get there and they're like
1: what are you doing
2: <laughs> you're late <laughs> Do this to us you know like is like for a TV thing too. So their rehearsal was limited on stage with cameras and stuff. And I was just like, ah, of course. <laughs> right. Yesterday, we we're on time and sat around for six hours. And today we're half an hour late and we are the worst people ever. Right. Um, But that also, you know, I kind of, it almost, I kind of thought like they might say, forget it, you know, you guys are fired, you know, you'll never work in this town again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but they're like, all right, well see you in a couple hours for the filming we're like okay (laughs) sorry we're really sorry we're sorry we were there for six hours yesterday so anyway, that went all right but uh yeah we really uh yeah that's what that's what
1: they call paying your dues (laughs) yeah Right. Not really um, being at a point in your career when you can ask the tough questions and insist on the information before you walk out the door. Uh, you know, when you're ready to go uh, and young and lithe, I just had to say lithe. Uh, you get you, you don't get all the information you need and it's it's aggravating. It is aggravating. It's one of the things that we deal with, too, on our end. Believe me, before we even want to pick up the phone to call you, we want to make sure we know what we're dealing with. And oftentimes, we just can't get at the information, which is you know, why we'll call you and say, well, we're really not sure about this, this, and this yet, but can you please give us a hold and we'll let you know, because it's just, it's so, so hard to get at the nooks and crannies of what people want sometimes. Yeah. And I, I sort of chalk that up to, they don't really know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they don't really have an idea or it's been passed down, the idea has been passed down and they're just the messenger and really don't have a clue of how and how it all put is put together. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a challenge, mm-hmm. but now you are twenty something years old. Yes, the group is <laughs> twenty something years old. So you've grown up. Do mm-hmm. you have a do you have a writer? Do you actually do you actually travel with a writer?
2: For the performing arts centers, mm-hmm. we have to send a writer um, just so that they have all the sound and lighting and staging equipment prepared, and and so that they know what to expect from us. Um, And you know, um, it's nothing that's too out of the ordinary. You know, Uh, if dinner is provided, a chicken dish that's not fried or creamy, and you know. um, But uh, yeah, you know, usually people know what to expect. For the you know the gigs and events we do with Bellata and other special event uh, producers, we go with the flow because you know it's it's harder to you know. Get those kind of things, and it's and it's totally fine. We can always make do. We can, we have our own Taiko Project snack bag that we bring with us if people get hungry. That's great. It uh, that is great. Yeah, and people know what to uh, what to pre- what to be prepared for. So be
1: flexible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because in our world it is uh, there's so many moving parts, and mm-hmm. it's it's not as though there's a curtain that's going up at a certain time, and mm-hmm. so uh, we appreciate the flexibility because you know at the end of the day. If they're ten minutes late coming into the room, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that the impact is there when they come in, right? Uh, They don't. Nobody's gonna split hairs for ten minutes, and we try not to. And those who do usually don't get asked back because, you know, they can't go with the flow. Yeah, I I think the theater training helped me to uh, just be willing to go with the flow because when you when you study theater you basically, you know, you, you're, you're acknowledge that your life is going to be a lot of fits and starts, you know, oh, I got that. Oh, now it's not happening. And I have to look for something else. And, oh, I didn't get a job this, you know, this month. It's all of that. Right. How about you? How did you, how did you, uh, determine I need to be flexible and go with the flow and let this happen the way it needs to? Because a lot of people have an issue with that. And musicians, by the way, a lot of musicians have a hard time with that.
2: Yeah. um, I I think, uh, yeah, when I was younger or when we first started, I had these grand dreams of how quickly we were going to take over the taiko world and uh, gig all over the world. Um, But, you know, I think reality sunk in that this was going to be, uh, you know, a a long haul and uh, more of a marathon than a sprint. Um, and I think that's benefited us in, in the long run. I you know we've been at the right place at the right time for our, a lot of opportunities, um, some opportunities we haven't had until like 10 years down the line when it finally opened up. And now it's you know a great uh, part of our uh, annual like show list. So um, yeah, I think patience and kind of just kind of staying true to what we do, um, and, and and working hard and for me like getting the right people involved in the ensemble has been the utmost like important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maz and I have been working together for you know going on 25 years um, A lot of the members of the group um, have been around like 15, 16 mm-hmm. uh, years And to me like you can't uh, you can't manufacture that kind of, like on stage Mm. camaraderie and connection, Um, you know, with someone that, you know, you just joined the group. It's, you know, we know each other so well. Uh, We know our, you know, we've grown up together, you know, we, you know, uh, knew each other when we were in our our 20s, you know, we saw each other get married, have kids. Um, We've seen each other, like, just, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a marriage, you know, we've grown old together. um, And we've also just, you know, spent, you know, countless hours in a van and uh, three-star hotel rooms together. (laughs) Right, a lot of three-star hotel rooms, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's, yeah, all that kind of comes together on stage with a a lot of the performers. And um, yeah, I'm extremely grateful for uh, a lot of our newer members, but especially our members that have stuck around uh and worked with us for years and years
1: i have to i have to think that's part of the joy as well being on stage sharing the stage with people that you've known so long uh because it does become less about the nerves and more about the the uh coming together and making something really beautiful you know there's trust Mm -hmm. because you've been together for so long that you can enjoy more of the moments than worry about them yeah
0: It's also nice when you're working with somebody for a long time and know that, uh, yeah, that everybody cares for everybody and that ultimately it's about the joy and and the the happiness of the members, you know, it's not just bottom dollar. And uh, when you can provide that, that's really beautiful.
1: So Brian, please, uh, please help me remember, Mm -hmm. Uh, you have done, I think I used you twice for Qualcomm.
2: Yes uh-huh. at least once I remember Qualcomm at least one experience
1: okay so there were twice there were two times that we used Tycho mm. uh one time uh, the last time uh, I recall very vividly that you were there and we had you walking through the audience mm. but the first time I I want to say I put you up in a truss. was that? You?
2: It could have been. I I don't remember.
1: <laughs> you? I want to say it was you, and I'm I'm glad that you don't remember because I I don't have a real clear memory of this, but my friend Suzanne Lanham does. Mm. We we put you in a truss and we hung you from the ceiling. Mm.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure that was you because I can't imagine who else it would have been, and it would have been a couple of years before you know it'd been. One event, and then a couple of years later, we used the group again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still have people that remember that. Oh. And that was probably 2006 or seven. Mm-hmm. It was that long ago. And people will still remember the Tycho drummer in the rig in oh. the ceiling.
0: Mm-hmm. I would love to see pictures of that.
1: Of course, I don't have pictures because,
0: right. you know. Why would you take a picture? Of why that? would I
1: take a picture? <laughs> I might I might somewhere have a picture of that
0: because that was ba that was before me
1: oh yes this was this was in the early days of, mm-hmm. of my doing qualcomm and I think I did five uh, brew conferences in a row uh and and had Tycho on several of them <laughs> so uh anything else that you'd like to share with us before we let you go is there anything new or exciting that uh, other than a third baby
2: um, no, it's, it's, you know, it's really been great, uh, talking with you guys. I feel like whenever we're on site, it's always, you know, as it should be, uh, focused on the event and making sure that, uh, we're doing, uh, what the client and what you guys would like us to do. Um, but yeah, it's nice to, to, to chat more in a relaxed format.
0: Um, mm-hmm. and not you're... at the crack of ridiculous in the morning, <laughs> either, which is <laughs> right. often the case, right? Yeah. Um.
2: So yeah, thanks for having me on and for letting
1: me share. Well, we've been big fans, uh, since day one and we love, love, love working with Tyco project and you, and Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we, we grew up together in, in in some sense, because, uh, I just started doing meetings about that time that I found you and you had just started this Tyco project and, uh, it's just great to see that you're still at it and and how much you've accomplished in twenty years. And you know what? There's so much more to do there is you've got a you've got a long career ahead of you, which is good because you have three more mouths to feed, so
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. It's been a wild ride, but you know every year brings challenges but also really exciting opportunities,
1: so yes, mm-hmm. keep an open heart, right? And they come. Oh, it's always great to see Brian Yamami and to work with him. Mm-hmm. Really, one of the true professionals that we have the pleasure to work with.
0: Absolutely, I and I love that when I call him for stuff, he'll always know the right questions to ask. If I haven't already provided information, he knows the right questions to ask so I can get him what he needs. And uh, you know, that's that's key to making everything work. Plus, he's well. You know how much I love them because. I, you know, whenever it says, Hey, what do you think? What do we want? And you usually the first two words out of my mouth are Taiko project. Right. Right. I say it all the time. I, it just, for me, it's whenever I hear them, it makes me homesick. I'm not going to lie. It makes me homesick for Japan. And they're just so amazing. Just really amazing musicians.
1: You know, he was talking about how they have costuming now and uh, they've elevated their game. I remember working with them the first time and coordinating what they could wear and it was it was i want to say it was all black it was very very casual uh and almost sort of had that put together that pulled together feel if you will um so it's just great to know that they're elevating their game i'd love to see them live now in the costume pieces uh that they that they use and the choreography that they're incorporating and the vocals. Yes. And the Koto and,
0: and you know, and the Japanese dance is, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'm thinking I want to find out what his summer schedule is. And I have some family up in LA and take a trip up there and go see them.
1: Yeah. if I can. Yeah. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be great. Well, that's it from us today. This very last uh day of january this will come out the first week of february wahoo here we are in springtime almost as we said hey if you liked listening to us please tell your friends and if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts, please give us five stars oh also if you'd like to join the conversation or have a comment just go to bolada.com look for the podcast tab and leave your comment or question in the box provided and we'll be sure to answer it here on this podcast that's it for us so we will say goodbye bye and stay engaging